Good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to start off with a question. Uh, so show of hands, who owns a planner? Does anyone own a planner? Okay. Now answer this one. I'm not talking about just any planner. I'm talking about a planner that has monthly tabs, uh, ribbons, uh, is pretty, um, is very well put together. And if you lose it, you go into a panic attack kind of planner. That's the kind of planner I'm talking about. Now, I don't own one, but my wife does. Um, and all of you who know her know she doesn't go anywhere without it, and she knows where it is. And if she doesn't know where it is, it is a full stop. We search for that planner. Um, and I love her very much. Um, and if, if you know her and you've been around her long enough, you know you've heard the phrase come out of her mouth, you know what, before we schedule that, let me get it on my planner to make sure that we have the room for it, that the day is free. Or, uh, you know what, let me go grab it. Honey, can you go grab it? I need to fill in this date. Or my favorite, look at our month. It's full. There's so many things going on. It's her joy to have a full, full planner. Um, and if you're an iPhone user uh, and you really like your calendar, you know, look at all the dots on my days. There's so many dots in the month. Anyways, uh, our family stays running and super organized because of her. If I was the one manning it, um, we wouldn't know what was going on. Let's just be honest. Um, and I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that, especially as husbands. Um, and so, but what I will say is that it is coming. November and December are coming. And that is the time of the year when it is an all-out manhunt to look for next year's planner. And it's got to be perfect, right? Not too big or small. It's got to be hardback as if it's paperback. It's not going to last till February, okay? And it's got to have daily sections. It's got to have weekly sections and monthly sections and blank spaces for us to write everything in. And it better be pretty. That's important. It better look good. Anyways, if this is you, there is nothing wrong with that at all. Um, and we weren't always like this. Uh, we didn't always have a planner, but as things started getting more hectic and we were getting involved in full-time ministry and then kids were added to the list um, and also a dog, we added a planner into our life. Um, and she's been using it faithfully every day for probably four or five years. Um, so we've gone through several. Um, and we really don't forget many things because it keeps us so well organized, and it really is helpful. So what do planners have to do with our passage today? Well, let me tell you. So if you all want to open your Bibles um, or your app, or you can look on the screen, let's turn to James chapter 4, verse 13. Uh, we've been working our way through the book of James, and today we find ourselves at the second half of chapter 4. So let's read that. And it says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. 
So all of us know, even if we don't own a business or have ever owned a business in our life, we know that one of the responsible things to do is to look ahead at our next year, the next month, and plan what's going to be going on, who needs to be aware, what do we need to be building, what do we need to be doing. Um, and that's just a responsible business practice. Just like my family, we plan ahead so that we are prepared. Um, you know, we cook, we have people over quite often a couple times a week, so we need to make sure that our meals are large enough for those people. Um, bunch of different things. And, you know, for example, during the springtime, I build garden boxes, um, and I've been doing it for a few years, and every winter, I know about how many I'm going to be building for the year and when things get busy and all that stuff, and so I'm able to plan ahead so things aren't hair on fire crazy, they're just regular crazy, because it gets very crazy. Uh, so in verse 14, James says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Thank you, James. That's cool. Uh, but he's right. You know, we really don't have a clue. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We can look and we can pretty much know. I pretty much know what my Monday tomorrow is going to look like, right? I'm going to come in. I'm going to work. going to go grocery shopping. I'm going to come home, play with the kids, eat dinner, and that'll be, that'll be about the day, right? Um, but things can change. Accidents happen. Surprises happen. Just a few weeks ago, we were at uh, some friends' house, and we were leaving to go home, and the car didn't start. Um, and naturally, it was an hour past the boys' bedtime. Um, and so I don't know if you've ever had a toddler pass their bedtime. Um, they really like it, like a lot. Um, so that went really well, <laughs> like really well. Um, and so we eventually got them home. It was like, I don't know, an hour and a half past their bedtime, two hours, by the time we got them in bed. We did not plan that, for sure did not plan that. Um, and it was like eight or nine at night, and so none of the stores were open, so I couldn't do anything about the car to see what was going on. Um, we didn't plan that, right? Um, and the story ended well. Um, you know, I went to the car in the morning, um, and I started it with the right set of keys, that really helps when you try to start a car with the right set of keys, not the wrong set. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the definition of tired parents. Um, yeah, it was a long day. So, but the car works. So that's good. Uh, no repairs. You know, so James isn't trying to worry us. He's not trying to bring us any anxiety or uh, freak us out about what might happen um, throughout our day, right? So the second part of verse 14 says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes, right? So if we're, we can't comprehend what eternity looks like um, because we've been here for, what, a few decades, several decades. Um, and if, you know, we live to 70, 80, 90, 100, you know, say 100 years, in the grand scheme of eternity, that's nothing, right? Even mathematically, that works out to next to nothing. Um, just like uh, the smoke from a campfire uh, seems to follow you no matter where you sit. Still can't figure it out. We'll never know. Um, 
it appears one second and is gone the next, right? Psalm 39.5, and there are other verses throughout Scripture that say pretty much the same thing. Behold, you have made my days a few hands breadth, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. You know, all throughout Scripture, we are reminded of our mortalness, of our frailty, um, of this one beautiful life that we've been given. And as I was studying for this, uh, for this uh, sermon, you know, I thought about the gospel, which we talk about a lot around here. And one of the things that I think we forget, not that we forget, but that kind of uh, clears our mind because we don't think it's that important, is a sense of urgency with the gospel. If we're considering our lives to be short and fragile and we don't know what the next day is, wouldn't it be priority number one to make sure that those out there who don't know Jesus yet and haven't been transformed by him, wouldn't that be our top priority to minister to them? Wouldn't that mean that our marriages that are transformed by the gospel are a reflection of Jesus, that our, the way we talk to each other, that we talk to our spouse and to our kids and to our friends and to uh, the people that we don't know, wouldn't that mean something to them that it was different, that they would look at us and say, you know, he's more than just a nice person. She is more than just a good mom. You know, they, are, they have more than just a good marriage. They beat the odds, right? They are transformed by the gospel. So with the sense of urgency that we see, this should be our top priority. You know, if our eyes aren't set on eternity, and they're not set on the cross, like we just sang about, that our wealth is in the cross, and there's nothing more I want, wouldn't that pervade every aspect of our life? so that we can minister to those people. Okay, get off my soapbox. So verse 15, uh, instead, you ought to say, and this is in reference to verse 13, where it says, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. The Lord wills. If the Lord wills. You know, sometimes I think that is a pretty foreign statement that a lot of us don't talk about. You know, we make these decisions, we fill in our planners, we fill in our calendars, and maybe the 15th thought about what we're doing is, you know what, maybe this is what the Lord has for me today. Maybe this is it. And I feel like, you know, I hear... I hear this a lot with teenagers, with people in their 20s, early 20s, and being like, man, should I go to this college? Should I go here? Should I marry this person? Should I go into a trade school? Should I buy this car? Should I date this person? Should I do that? Like, they are actively seeking the Lord on all these big decisions. And I feel like they do that really well. And I experienced that about 10 years ago when I was just asking a lot of questions and seeking the Lord's will on all these different things. And I feel like sometimes that the older we get, um, we can forget about that. Change doesn't, big change doesn't happen as quickly as it used to, right? We're not 
pregnant one minute, and then we have a human life form that we are charged with caring forever, um, and we have no idea what we're doing, and we can read all the books and watch all the videos and ask all the grandparents, and we still don't know what we're doing, right? There's a lot of change that happens in your 20s, right? You're getting your first, second, third, fourth job. You might be having a couple kids. You might get your first dog or a cat if you're into that. I'm a dog person, so no judgment on felines. Um, there's a lot of change that happens. And, uh, you know, even just a few months ago, Lindsay and I started to notice with our life that change doesn't happen as quickly. You know, we've had, uh, we've had two boys, and they are phenomenal kids, and we love them, but the youngest is two and a half. It's been two and a half years since we've had a child, thank goodness. Because um, it's not easy, you know? Um, especially you new parents, you know it's not easy, but it is so rewarding, and it's so great, but there's a lot of change that happens. Um, you know, bought a house, all that stuff. Moved to Dallas a few years ago. Uh, been working here at the church for almost four years. All that stuff. Not a lot has changed recently, and so there's not as many opportunities big opportunities to say, if the Lord wills. Lord, what do you have for my life? And so one of the things that really convicted me is, okay, if there's not these huge decisions coming up, how can we include him in our day-to-day? -day? Uh, so the theologian Kent Hughes, uh, he writes, uh, a, a, he wrote a book for every book of the Bible. It's like a commentary. Um, but he wrote it for the average person, so it's easy to read. Um, I find it really easy to read. I don't know what that says about me. But anyway, so he said on his book in James, if they prayed in reference to their lives, it was not to ask God where and what they should do, but to ask his blessing on their plans. His blessing on their plans. You know, I was pretty convicted by that phrase. You know, we have so much going on. Our pink floral sparkly planner is filled up. Um, all the ribbons are accounted for. And we sometimes we get to pause and ask Jesus, what do you have for me this day? What do you want for me today? You know, we get so busy doing ministry that we forget to ask, Lord, what ministry do you want me to do today? We get so busy doing life and taking kids to sporting practice and to school and to rehearsals and then back home to have dinner and then back to the church to do youth group and then back home and they fall asleep and then we do it all over again the next day. Lord, what do you have for me today? What do you want from this one precious life that you've given me? I know that I need a planner, right? I needed to keep my life in order and to keep our family in order. And I know some of you do, uh, and probably some of you who don't have a planner might need a planner, so you might want to consider that. But I'm speaking for my family when I say that we need to include God in our decisions more often and more fully, right? Scripture tells us that God grants wisdom to those who ask for it. And wisdom can also come with age and with more experience and more notches 
on the belt loop, you know, uh, things happen and that we learn and we grow and, and we're able to give that wisdom away to others. But that doesn't give us an excuse to stop relying on God for everything. So if we look at verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. James is coming after us on both sides here. Two separate, two separate issues, but both very similar areas. The first is being, if you're planning your lives without God, stop. Plan your life with him at the center, constantly. Stop relying on yourself and rely on the one who gave you life and who gave you this life to enjoy it and to spread the gospel and to love your family and to love your neighbor. And on the second side, if you've been seeking God's will on something big or something small and you don't want to listen, you've ignored it, uh, don't do that either. Follow him, right? We talk about how, well, God's timing is just perfect all the time. Think about how his timing is just perfect. It's different than ours. But when his timing actually comes and he tells you what to do, there are times where we dig our feet in and we say, I'd rather not. You know, thanks for the answer, but I don't really like that answer. I don't feel comfortable with that answer. Uh, I don't want things to change or be different because of that answer. I challenge you and do what Nike tells us to do. Just do it. Don't wait. Uh, and as Lindsay lovingly says to our boys, to delay is to disobey. It's the most mom thing that she has in her arsenal. To delay is to disobey. I love it. Okay, um, well, part one is over. You're not getting out early. Um, sorry about that. So let's turn to chapter five. Are uh, you ready for some encouragement here? Okay, here we go. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lied, lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. There's your encouragement for the morning. Uh, so let me, start, let me start here. And hopefully this is encouragement. James is not necessarily addressing wealthy individuals. He is, though, addressing the business leaders and wealthy landowners of Galilee as a whole. He wasn't, in this passage, he wasn't just talking to the church. He was also talking to those who weren't a part of the church, but who were very wealthy, owned a lot of land, and did not pay their workers. They were known for holding, hoarding money, clothing, food, anything that would make their personal life better, right? Right? Uh, you can go into the Gospels and read the 
parable that Jesus talks about, about the wealthy person who is building larger barns to hold his stuff because he has too much stuff to fit in his other barns, so he needs more barns, right? Um, that's who he's talking about, and that he's also talking to the people who didn't pay their workers. In biblical times, workers were paid at the end of every day so that they could go to the market, get food for their family, and live another day. Those workers didn't get paid. They meant no food for them or their family or any other needs that they had. So that's who James was calling out here. You know, just like he did in the previous passage, everything is a mist. It's all a mist. Everything, life is a vapor. Your storehouses, is what he says in verse 2 and 3, paraphrase a little bit, your storehouses are rotting away, all your silver and gold is corroding, which doesn't happen if it's pure gold and silver, it doesn't corrode. But he's saying, this is corroding, this is temporary, this isn't eternal. And that they've been laying up for themselves treasures here on earth. Now that phrase might sound similar, but just a little opposite of what we've heard before. Um, if you look closely at the book of James, who is the younger brother of Jesus, um, you'll see a lot of parallels between James and the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which you can find in Matthew 5 through 7, which is probably Jesus' uh, most famous sermon that he gave. And so in Matthew 6, 20, Jesus says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moss, moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So what James is saying is that you have laid up treasure for yourselves in the last days. The exact opposite of what Jesus has said, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. One talks about the rich man who only cares about himself and the things that money can do for him, and the other talks about what we can do for others and what we can do for the kingdom and what we can do for eternity. Right? That richness that we're storing up in heaven comes from, like Troy taught us last week, the fruits of the Spirit. Right? That we find in Galatians 6, 5, excuse me, Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the attributes of Jesus. These are the attributes of the King of Kings, and these are the attributes of a life well lived. This is what God is calling us to, right? In service to God, in service to one another, in service to our family, to our neighbor, this is what we are called to. This is storing up treasures in heaven. Okay, so how does James 5, 1 through 6, apply to me? Because I don't know about you, I don't have a storehouse out back full of gold um, or silver. So what can we learn? Uh, so I asked, you know, as I was studying, I always try to see what convicts me and what I can learn from this and then bring it to you to see how Scripture can teach you. So here's a few ideas um, in ways that I was convicted as well the past couple weeks. Um, and with these, I want to encourage you to have these conversations with your spouse, with your family, with your kids if they're old enough, um, with your friends, with your life group. 
have these conversations about how we are storing up things in heaven and where you've been investing your time and money and where the Lord may be leading you to do so. So let's take a look at verse 4 to give us a little bit of an idea and a little bit of a direction. So verse 4 says, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which, kept, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So essentially, he's saying, please pay your workers. If somebody works for you, pay them. Right. Thankfully, there are, there are laws here that require that. Um, but even if it's a kid who's mowing your lawn, just pay them. Don't wait to pay them. Right? Uh, if it's somebody who is babysitting your children, pay them. Don't, don't ask for favors all the time. Just pay them. If it's a gift, accept the gift, but pay them. Uh, tip your waiters and waitresses. I had dozens of friends in high school and college who were waiters and waitresses, and they did not get tipped very well because, well, people just didn't want to, and they don't get paid very well either. Um, so tip them. It's not that hard. It's a way to bless them, and it's a way to encourage and to love them and to show them Jesus. It's just a few bucks, right? So tip the people who serve you. Bear good witness to God, and to the church, and to his people. These are ways that you can bless, right? Just a few dollars can bless somebody. And it speaks volume to them. Uh, so where I want to camp for the rest of the time is where we are investing our time and money. Um, and the first thing that came to my mind is uh, it is different for everybody. It is different for the seasons that we're in. So for some people who might just have had a newborn baby, it's probably not their time to volunteer 30 hours a week, right? Because that doesn't make any sense. Instead, or, uh, invest all your time and money and skills and knowledge into that precious life that you've been given. That is God-honoring. That is loving your family. That is loving Christ. That is doing it well. Right? That is a season. Enjoy the season. Take joy in the season. Right? And on a side note, um, every child has a God-given responsibility to wreck your house um, and to find new and inventive ways to kill themselves, um, and some more than others, and I don't want to brag, but my boys are pretty good at that. <laughs> Do a really good job. Uh, but seriously, our, our number one job, one of the, one of the guys that I uh, really enjoy listening to, he tells his kids that my number one job is to keep you safe, to keep you safe physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, right? And that says... That means saying no to some things when they want something so very bad and saying yes to other things that are going to be great and life-giving for them. And that also means saying no to some things that we would enjoy doing, but it means taking away from our kids. And then other times it means saying yes to something so that we can be the best parent to them as possible. Right? That's investing in our kids. 
That means saying no to some things and yes to some things. And it's not forever, but it's a season. And we get to take joy in that season. And then on the, other, on the somewhat opposite end of the spectrum, uh, as an example, there have been individuals and couples uh, here the past several weeks at the church who have been spending a lot of time making our campus look nicer, making repairs that are going unseen um, and unheard of, and they are the last people who are going to be asking for any kind of attention or praise. They're all retired, um, and they don't have any kids in the house, and they are choosing to invest their time into the church building because that's their season of life, and that's what they've chosen to do, and it's a beautiful thing. And so I'm not giving you these two different spectrums to discourage you being like, well, if I had the time, I would volunteer, but I have kids, and so I can't volunteer. That's not what I'm trying to say. Or, well, if I still had kids, I would do a better job. That's not what I'm saying either. I'm here to encourage you that both the parents with the kids and the retired couples are investing their time well here on earth and for eternity. So if you've been around me any time uh, or for the past few years while I've been here, uh, I very much enjoy finances, which is weird. And I'm a little bit of a nerd. Uh, but I really like it, and I uh, find it very fascinating. And a lot of people find it very stressful. And I have kind of taken it up as a ministry of mine to take that stress away and just to help people out. Um, and so a lot of that studying has come from Scripture and what the Bible has to teach us about money. And I know I've said this before several times when I've been up here, but besides the kingdom of God, Jesus spent his time here on earth speaking the most about money. So number one was kingdom of God, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Number two, he's talking about finances. He talked about supporting the local church through your finances, that it's right to pay taxes, that we should help the poor and the needy, and for goodness sakes, please take care of your family. Uh, he taught us about managing your money wisely, good stewardship, and investing for the future. He also taught us not to depend on money but on God alone, that we are stewards of our finances and that it really all belongs to God anyways and that we should be investing in the lives of others, not just ourselves. Scripture also teaches us in the Proverbs 13.22, it says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, which means leaving an inheritance to your grandkids is a good thing. I guess the Scripture tells us it's a good thing to do. It's actually in the Bible, believe it or not. Uh, and then probably one of the most uh, popular verses about money in the Bible is from 1 Timothy 6.10 that says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And I know there's probably a hundred times that you've heard this. It's not for money is the root, but it's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Uh, and if we take a look at the Greek definition of that kind of love, because there's several different definitions in the Bible of various types of love, even though it all comes out to the same word in English, of what that type of love is. And this one is talking a love that is purely transactional in nature. And so what Timothy is talking about is for the love of money that serves me, of what money can do for myself of how it can benefit me, how it can make my life greater. 
and how it can serve my needs and desires. That is not, if you know anything about Jesus, that is not what Jesus is talking about with money, and it is exactly what James is telling us, is calling out of us. So James is telling, James is telling us, do not allow money to become something that only serves yourself. So, with that said, just want to clear the air. Having money saved for retirement is not wrong. Having a paid-off house and nice cars is not wrong. Paying for vacations for your entire family is not wrong. This is not what the Bible tells us. But it does say if your wealth is only in service of yourself, you're doing it wrong and you need to check your heart. So back to Kent Hughes. Uh, in the same book on James, he says, while the Bible does not discourage saving and prudential provision for one's needs, it is dead set against a vast accumulation of self-directed wealth focused solely on perpetuating one's own comforts and pleasures. So, are you generous? Are you investing your money into others? Is generosity of your time and money a muscle that you are regularly stretching and flexing and using for the benefit of others. And if it is, that is phenomenal. You have allowed Jesus to invade every aspect, even your finances. That is a good and mature thing. But on the flip side, are you burdened by monthly payments going towards credit cards, car payments, bank notes, and IRS debts? Is your debt holding back the blessing that God can use your money for? God has too much in store to bless others with your finances to have it going to banks and the government every month. So with that, I'm going to throw in a little ad uh, and to interject. In January, I'll be teaching another Financial Peace University class. Uh, if any of you are having trouble or have any questions with finances, that is the place to do it. Um, it's just a simple class. It's nine weeks long. I teach it. Um, well, I don't teach it. I just kind of guide it. Um, it's done wonderfully, and it just helps. It helps so much. Four and a half years ago, Lindsay and I were probably the right word to use is scared to death with our finances because we knew nothing. We had no money. We were deeply in debt and couldn't do anything. We were stuck. And then we looked to Scripture and we looked to people to help us. And we were, Lindsay herself is naturally generous. And it is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And I was not at all. And that is something that I constantly have to learn and practice. Lindsay reminds me, Christ reminds me, this is something that we're able to do now because things are looking a little bit better because we took the responsibility of it and now God gets to use our finances more so to bless others. And then on the other side, if you need help immediately, just come to me. I love to help. And there's literally no shame whatsoever. There shouldn't be any shame with finances. Lindsay's grandma who is one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, 
taught us something a few months ago, and she said, if you don't know where to start investing your time and money, start with people. That is her, that is her life. That is what she does. And it is, I mean, it is wonderful. Supposedly, I'm her favorite person. I don't know about that, because I think everybody's her favorite person. But she is just a wonderful, generous, loving lady. So, if you don't know where to start investing your time and money, start with people. So here's a few ideas. Start with sponsoring uh, the scholarship fund for the youth group for fall and winter camps that we have here. Start by volunteering your time somewhere. Um, I heard that our children's pastor has a couple great ideas um, and a lot of wonderful kids who would just love to hang out with you. Start with a single mom's bald tires on her car. Start with school supplies for the coming year for low-income families. Start by writing a letter of encouragement to your kids' upcoming teacher this year. Start with a young couple with a new baby. Start with Christmas cheer or Bambinos or H2O or CASA or any nonprofit that you love. Dallas is full of them. The Valley is full of them. They need our help, right? And these are ways that we can bless and love others. Other ways to do that, and I'm going to give you an example, is Lindsay and I have a few uh, very special people and families in our lives who refuse to take money. They drop off coffees, they watch our kids for a couple hours so we can go on dates with zero expectation of us ever paying them. And these are ways that they bless us because they can, and we are beyond blessed by them. These are ways to bless others. People who do this are investing their time and money into my boys' life, into my wife's life, and into my life. And these are ways that they have chosen to bless us. And these are ways that you can choose to bless other families. It doesn't have to be through an official nonprofit. It doesn't have to be through a church or a youth group. It can be through the lives of others. Where we choose to invest our time and money uh, has a funny way of reflecting where the posture of our heart is. If our budget's really tight but we faithfully give, when we have more money, our heart is naturally drawn to give more to others and to the church and to people in need. When we have two young toddlers and we choose to volunteer in kids' ministry for one hour a month because it's needed, and when your kids are older, your heart and your kids' heart is going to be drawn to finding more areas to volunteer. But... On the flip side, if you tell yourself, oh, you know, when I have more time or when my kids are older or when I have more money, then I'll start volunteering and giving. It's really not how it's going to work because your heart is not attuned to the needs of others. It's not attuned to Jesus and to what he has called us to loving our neighbors. If you wait until you have the time and you have the money to do it, you're probably not going to do it. Do not set yourself up for failure. Do not rid 
the kingdom here on earth of what you can bring it and what you can give it no matter how small it is. This is the life God is calling us to, not one of lavishness and close-handedness, but one of openness and one with coming to the Lord with open hands and saying, Lord, I am willing. What do you have for me today? So ask God where you can give your time, where you can give your energy. If he's calling you to more, if he's calling you to less, because that's a thing, seek him. Look at your planner. Invite him in. Invite him into your finances. Invite him into your time and your scheduling. This is what James is calling us towards. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. God, today, let your word and your son invade every aspect of our life. Lord, let our eyes be tuned towards eternity, towards the cross, towards others how we can show kindness and love and serve others. And also know when we need to pull back and spend time with our families and love them and invest in them. And Lord, don't make us weary of this time. Because the day in, day out can sometimes be hard. But God, we are investing in an eternal kingdom that you are slowly ushering in. And we get to witness that. We get to be a part of it, God. So Lord, this morning, we love you. We give our lives to you. God, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.